everyone is a star child made of stardust and the infinite potential of the universe. This extraordinary fearless something in each of us clamors for freedom from the bonds of fear, conformity, and an ordinary life. Welcome to Dr. Durr's Living in the Sweet Spot, where practical tools and solutions from the intersection of mind-body medicine, science, and spiritual well-being awaken and empower you to live out your infinite potential, to live life in the sweet spot. Dr. Balan A. Durr here, welcoming you to Living in the Sweet Spot. Thank you for joining part two of my conversation with Dr. Connie McReynolds, and we're talking about her book, Solving the ADHD Riddle. It's great to be back. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm so, so glad to have you back for this part two of the conversation, because as you well know, part one was so, um, was so rich and had so much um, details and information so that I knew we were, we were going to have to do a part two. So, 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 so thank, so thank you for, thank you for this. Right. Um, so where we left off was, um, we were talking about one, some of these strange ideas and some of these ideas, these, these different, these, these, I think challenging ideas that we come up with about what having, um, this kind of, you know, functioning or different functioning in our, in our brain, uh, what it means about us in terms of who we are and our character, but it's, but, but those beliefs that actually interfere, you know, with us getting help and with mm-hmm. finding the solutions so that we can be successful and learning how to work with our brains as um, when we have processing, you know, auditory and or visual processing difficulties. And then we were going to get into, um, you know, the, the, what that treatment looks like as it refers to the work that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Right. So I just like to, I just like what I like to remind people of to just kind of start with is right. The body can't live without a brain. Right. If, 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 um, if it's walking around without that, I think that you, that at the very least you a zombie, if not in trouble. <laughs> so, <laughs> Uh, I don't want want none of that. Either one of either one of those, right? So we need a healthy, functioning brain, and and we need to we need to learn to work with it as it is. So 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 one. So let's again. Let's talk about what are those those thoughts that we come up with? Those those beliefs that come up that we people come up Mm -hmm. with about what it means, but that they get in the way. And there are a lot of them. So, you know, first and foremost, it's that, well, this is just willful bad behavior. So if this child just really, you know, could pay attention and do what's told to do, then everything would be okay. So there's that myth. It's like, oh, well, this child's just meaningfully being disobedient. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, and we need to just uh, bear down on this and just get tougher with this child because clearly this is just a behavioral problem and we're just not parenting well. And so that's the other piece is that it's a parenting problem. And they need punishment. (laughs) Yes. It's all about punishment, taking things away. 
So one of the clues to this is if everything you've tried hasn't led to a different outcome, mm -hmm. time to try a different outcome here because or a different approach. Because if punishment isn't and problematic behaviors aren't changing, something else is going on. And that's kind of the harder thing for, I think, for adults sometimes to pull back on. It's like they just kind of keep going. It's like, well, I just keep going this route. We're going to get better results. We just keep doing this. And, you know, children have had everything taken away from them and nothing has mattered. Uh, they're in trouble at school. They're in detention all the time. Nothing is changing the behaviors. Believe me, most children that I've seen, in fact, I would say almost all of them, they don't want to be in trouble. Uh -huh. They just want to have a peaceful life and they want to do and be able to produce whatever people are asking them to do. They don't, they're not seeking trouble. They are not seeking trouble. Now, by the time they get to be angry teenagers, you might have a situation with some behaviors, but we could talk about that you know, a little bit later here. What I'm really talking about on the front end of this is if all the interventions that you've tried, if the punishment, the reward system, and nothing seems to be making a difference in this child's life, we need to dig down a little bit deeper. It's also not about bad parenting. And so that's the next piece that I really want parents to hear is you're not a bad parent. If this child has auditory and visual processing problems and can't hang on to what you're saying, no matter how many times you say it, it isn't a situation of you not trying hard enough and of your child not trying hard enough. That myth has just caused so much pain and agony in families that when the information is provided to these families, often parents weep because they're so relieved that they don't have a bad child and that they haven't been doing something wrong. I also ran a pilot project in a school where I was working with teachers and I saw a similar situation happen with the teachers, happen with the teachers, whereas they would have a child who was misbehaving in the classroom and no amount of intervention really was making a difference. And then when we did this assessment and the parent and the teacher were sitting in on the assessment, I literally watched this teacher's face completely change. And in this case, it was a male teacher in an elementary school, which was a rarity. Mm -hmm. And what was nice it was to see him be able to relax because he was internalizing that he wasn't a good teacher. Right. He wasn't saying it, but he was feeling like he was failing in the classroom because this child either couldn't learn or couldn't pay attention or wouldn't sit still. So he was telling himself that there was something wrong with him. So you can see the theme. Everyone thinks there's something wrong with them in this mix. The child thinks there's something wrong with him or her. The parents think they're doing something wrong. The teachers think they're doing something wrong. And then you have everyone, in some cases, kind of pointing the finger. Well, if you were just doing your part, if you were just doing your part, if you were just doing their part, all of that's a myth for this. None of this is working. And that's where we really have to delve deep because we've got to figure out what's going on here. So, and and I think to your, to your point, one, you're saying um, if the solutions that you're coming up with aren't working, then don't double down on them. Exactly. Right. And then the yeah. other part, then the other part to that is um, that, that I think it's important for people to remember is again, if you're not creating the results you want, or I people call that being successful, mm -hmm. 
then don't confuse that with your worth. If what you're, yeah, right. With what you're doing is not working, then don't confuse your um, uh, solution with your identity and worth, right? Mm -hmm. what, that's, what that simply means is that, um, that you need to change, change up what you're doing, right? Or, um, and, and, and take a different approach. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so one of the things that, you know, I, I like to tell folks is, you know, if, if you want to buy groceries then don't go to Krispy Kreme right. and <laughs> yeah, it's right. And don't keep going back to Krispy Kreme because they don't sell groceries. <laughs> right. Right. So, you know, mm -hmm. you got to change, you got to, you know, I'm not saying don't buy groceries, but I'm just saying, but you got to change, change up. Where are you or the groceries, right? Where are you going to get the groceries, right? Yes, yes. So, 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 yes. yeah. Just keep that. Just keep that in mind. If mm -hmm. if what if what's hap if what you're doing with the child is not yielding the results you want, it's just not the proper solution for whatever mm -hmm. they're experiencing, and you got to get it figured out. What's actually going? What what actually the difficulty is that they're having, and change up the change up the solution, the approach. Yes. Is that old saying doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results is the definition of insanity. And when we're going down this road, we feel like we're losing our minds when we've got children who really can't do what we're asking them to do. And parents will say, he's so smart. I know she can do this. And it's like, yes, that is true. It isn't a matter of intelligence. And so we're back to, we loop back to that regularly mm -hmm. is that this isn't typically anything about intelligence, but if I'm saying something to you and I've said it three times and you're still not picking up on what I'm saying, there's something going on. Something's happening here. Mm -hmm. And children typically don't want to get in trouble. So that's the other piece of it yeah. is they typically don't want punishment. They typically don't want to be sanctioned or pointed out in a classroom or in some way identified as different from um, other people. So they want to have you know, the ability to do what's being asked of them because they want typically want to please the people that are in their lives. Not everyone, certainly, mm -hmm. but most of the time, these children just want to be able to get along in their life too because they're very uncomfortable. And they're very unhappy in a lot well, of these well, they, but they well keep it simple. They they want praise, right? Yes. They, they want praise. They want to know the kid. The kids want praise, just like adults do. They want to know mm -hmm. that what they're doing is um, um, is is valued by others, right? That they're being successful. Uh, what they're doing, that they they're they're meaningful, and what they're doing is 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 matters and is meaningful. So if we if we keep that in mind, that that's a, a constant, you know, for the human beings I know. I don't know all eight billion of them on the planet, but uh, the ones I do know that that's they all you know agree that that's true. Then um, then then yeah, the kids the, the the kids they they do want praise, and so they do want to be successful. So, so what are some of the other myths that we're, that we're looking at? Um, you said there were many. <laughs> well, there's about as many myths as we have people that have had to fill in the gaps for not really knowing why something isn't working well. And again, we've dealt with the intelligence. People were so default 
to I must just not be smart enough or I have to work twice as hard as the next person going down the line. Mm -hmm. The other is that punishment, if we just double down on it and keep doubling down on it, it's going to work. Well, not in these cases. It's not going to work. Mm -hmm. And that you know, the willful bad behavior, I think these are the big ones uh, for this. And then for adults, it it's such an interesting narrative that they will tell themselves or parents will say, oh, well, you know, my child can pay, play video games for 10 hours, but, you know, can't do homework for five minutes. They clearly have the ability to concentrate. It's like, well, there's actually another layer in here for what's happening with the video game in the brain versus what's happening in the brain when I'm dealing with my math, which I don't want to do. <laughs> right. So there's a whole, the whole thing with all the neurotransmitters, the dopamine, which is our feel good thing. So many of these video games, of course, are designed to kind of drive keeping us attached to them because it feels good when we win our programs. So, right. so, 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 and, and, and again, and I, and I'm, you know, mentioned this to you when we were off camera, I just had a conversation with a family member who was talking about one of their kids, again, not being motivated. Um, and we're talking about someone who's graduated from high school, not being motivated um, to in terms of, you know, college and, 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 you know, finding work and that kind of thing, which I, I often hear there's a lack mm -hmm. of motivation about being employed and those kind of things. And, um, but, you know, wants to play video games, et cetera. And I, and what I said to her was, again, I said, one, the video games, they're, they're changing like this. So it's, it's easy to pay attention to something that changes like that, right? Cause you, it doesn't need to be very long, but number two, you're also interested in it. And again, like you've already mentioned, because it's releasing the dopamine, then dopamine works on pleasure and motivation. I said, so I said, again, just like for you as an adult, you do those things that feel good, which is, is, you know, um, uh, you know, and I'm, and I'm not saying she was doing these things, but these are the kinds of things adults do. They they eat, drink, smoke, and have sex, right? I said, why? Because it releases the dopamine and it feels good. And you know, and then of course I threw in a little bit, you know, and of course, but if 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 the sex don't feel good, that means as Ludacris says, you ain't doing it right. So, <laughs> so you got to work on that part. But anyway, it's the release of dopamine that that then motivates us to engage in the activity more but then also mm -hmm. that it um again it, it's pleasurable it's enjoyable mm -hmm. so of course we want to engage in those activities that that feel good and of course motivate us to mm -hmm. continue to participate in that so of course that's why as you've already talked about why kids can play video games for hours and hours and hours because it feels good. It's enjoyable. Mm -hmm. It's fun, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's much it's much funner than doing that dry, boring, detailed, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. uh, uh, right. focus intense work. That's just this this like you said. That's not any fun. Who wants to do that? Well, precisely. Who does? Who who amongst us really thrilled at doing our homework when we were in school? We'd much rather be doing something else. But you, it, when you have the ability to override that, you have a choice. When you don't have the ability to override it, you really don't have the choice. And so that's the other piece of this. It's kind of a, a, 
kind of assigning a little bit of blame sometimes, maybe trying to shame people into doing things differently. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and we see it. It's like, well, if you don't do this, if you all of those kinds of things that go on or the embarrassment in the classroom that sometimes happens where children realize that they can't do what someone else has done in the classroom that can that can really kind of come into play and i often think about you know the the adult the man who walked in one day and had told me he'd lost a lot of jobs and he couldn't figure out why mm -hmm. he just thought he wasn't very smart mm -hmm. and he was sitting there telling me he says you know when my boss talks to me i can't remember anything he says to me i did this assessment and sure enough this guy was really impaired in his auditory memory and when we tackled that it's like oh my gosh you know, had we been able to find him 20 years ago or he find us and we could have identified this and just think of what that could have saved him, both in how he felt about himself, his lack of success in employment, being underemployed because he couldn't remember. And so he would lose jobs. So he wouldn't have a reference for the next job. So he'd always have to start mm. over mm. kind of at entry level every time he went somewhere because he didn't have a good track record. And we just look and at this day in and day out. And so, of course, what you're talking about is the fact that also look at what that cost him, both yes. in terms of uh, his professional advancement and income, the, the loss right. of professional advancement and lost income by having to, by losing jobs so frequently and always having to start over at entry level positions for such an extended period of time. That's right. And just think of the number of people that are dealing with this. I do every day. I think of the millions of people who are out there who just think they can't do something right. That And they write these terrible stories about themselves. All my siblings are very successful. I'm just the dumb one in the family, or I just can't get this done, or I'm so disorganized, or I can't find my shoes, but they're at the end of my feet kind of things. And so all of those are indicators of auditory and visual processing challenges. And if we could just catch this, and kind of my whole mission is if we could catch this when people are young and we can get this under control and really get the brain tuned up, we know as educators out there and, and anyone in elementary or K-12 know that children up until the age of third grade, the end of third grade, are learning how to read. And if I can't attend long enough to be able to formulate the understanding of words and language and read and comprehend. That's another thing we measure is comprehension. Mm -hmm. Then from fourth grade on, children have to learn, have to use reading to be able to learn. And so here's our break point. Including, including math. Yes, exactly. So it's so interesting. Parents will sometimes come in and say, you know, kindergarten, K3, all this went well. And we got into middle school and everything fell apart. It's like, well, then we find out that there's auditory and visual processing problems, which is exactly where it's going to start showing up. If this child hasn't been able to successfully learn uh, good, strong reading skills and comprehension skills, now it's really going to start showing up. And now this is where the trajectory starts with children who start getting into more and more trouble in junior high. Uh, we see more and more trajectory for this for boys and girls. And then by the time they get into high school, they may be so far behind that we end up having a lot of dropouts when it comes to children not being able to be successful in high school. And if you start going back, you'll start seeing where that was breaking down. 
And it wouldn't surprise me at all if in most of these cases we would get clear back to third grade and check the reading scores and see where these children were. We might have some pretty good insights into what has happened here. And, and also in terms of what you're talking about too, I think it's also important to distinguish that from um, say someone uh, speaking personally, someone like myself who, as I said, I've got so many plates spinning in terms of things that I'm doing that, um, you, you know, I'm kind of going, where did I put my keys or where is the, where's the phone or whatever? And I'm just kind of going, and I, you know, at some point I look at somebody and kind of, you know, it's like, is my head attached? Because if it wasn't, I'd leave mm -hmm. it somewhere, right? <laughs> it's just, that's, that's really, that's really different than what, yes. you, than what you're talking about. So, yeah. So you have, so there's that. And then I know one of the other things too, of course, people bring up is, 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 is a, is a character issue, right? Besides mm -hmm. is, is character. What does this say about me mm -hmm. and my character? Mm -hmm. Talk about that. Well, yes. And I think the gentleman who lost all the jobs, I mean, if we look at that, how he formed himself about his character and how employers formed their ideas of who he was as an employee, that's a clear case of really kind of mischaracterization of what was happening with him. He couldn't remember what his boss was telling him to do. It literally went one in and out the other. Mm -hmm. It just, it, it, he couldn't hang on to it. So we assume that, and I don't know how many times I've had families come in and I'll share this. So we're testing the child and then one of the parents will say, I think my spouse uh, is pretty descriptive of my spouse here. And prior to that, it was like just, the husband, I would, I had a situation where uh, the husband did come in after we'd worked with the child and uh, the telltale mark that he was getting better is that he could remember what the grocery list was that wasn't written down and he could actually bring home the items from home that his <laughs> wife called him to bring home on the way home from work. <laughs> Up to that point, she thought he was just, you know, goofing off or whatever and just was willful not bringing whatever it was home that she needed that evening. And then when we did the assessments and realized it's like, um, no, there's a whole lot going on here. This auditory sequencing memory is shot. It's not here. We tackled that. And then he actually called me and he said, I just want you to know that without a list, I got everything she needed today. <laughs> wow, 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 wow. Well, and, you know, and I'm sure with some people, even with a list, they, they won't get everything. So, uh, exactly. But yes, exactly. I that, that's also a great point, too, to remind people that because you are talking about um, brain structure and function, that these kind of, you know, auditory and visual processing difficulties can be inherited, can be passed mm -hmm. along, you know, from one generation to the other. And so, you know, that, that is, you know, a question that, that I will ask um, is, does, mm -hmm. does your child act like anybody else in the family on either, on either side, right? And then, and, and, yeah. and sometimes you get the, the, yeah, they're just like, mm -hmm. you know, one parent or the other, they're just like, mm -hmm. you know, cousins, so-and-so or uncle or grandma or grandpa, so-and-so. We do hear it. Yeah. And then there's always the question of, you know, is this nature or nurture? And I say, yes, <laughs> because yes, yeah, it's, it's all a factor. It's all a factor. How we grow up, 
our genetic is a factor, but our environment is a factor. And so you can't really kind of pull all that apart with this. And what I'll tell people is, you know, how we got here, we may not be able to figure it out. <clears throat> the thing we can figure out is how we're going to go forward. And that's what really matters. And so today forward, this is what we can do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, so since we've talked about, um, you know, some of, and I think the big obstacles and I, and I think again, someone in terms of character, you know, folks tend to think sometimes it, then therefore I'm unreliable. Then there's also issues of, you know, uh, of, of weakness. We've also we've talked about, you know, intelligence and those, and those kind of things. So, before we go on and and talk about one, you know, what are the options in terms of um, the work that you're doing, and then also how do we how do you go how how do you go about getting help, right? Mm -hmm. Let's let's pause and, and take a break, and then we'll come right back. abounds in you, enlightens, uplifts, inspires, and invites you to live a life that's engaged, joyous, and limitless, the sweet spot of life. Take this journey in oneness. We are and have all that God, the infinite creative source of the universe, is. You are infinite potentiality, and the kingdom of heaven is within you. Heaven abounds in you. Dr. Durr is here with Dr. Connie McReynolds, the author of Solving the ADHD Riddle. So when we left uh, at the break, we were, um, uh, you know, talking about some of those myths that people believe that actually uh, about what ADHD is and why it's happening and then um, how those then interfere with treatment. And so then next we were going to talk about the the unique treatment options that you offer based upon the the work that you're doing and and your and your book solving the ADHD riddle. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, so really, uh, I, this really goes back about 15 years to when I started this institute out here in Southern California at a university and started kind of learning about this and I started with a pilot project which was we heard about it a colleague had said hey he's using this in another county with children who are struggling to learn how to read and that they were getting good results with it and he said I really think you guys ought to check into this and see it so we did um, I had great support at the time from the university it was a creative place and there was a lot of things that I had the ability to kind of pull together and pitch and do, and it was really exciting uh, to be able to explore this. So I just said, okay, we've got to figure out what this is. I'm not going to pitch this to the community until I know it works. Mm -hmm. So we've got to set up some pilot projects. And we did. So we set up with the intent of studying this for a year. And so I had two groups, one children with ADHD and another group veterans with PTSD, because I, I really wanted to help both of those groups. And so we just put the call out to the community and just said, you know, we have this new program we're using. 
we think it's going to work. We can't guarantee any of thing, of course, but we'd like to just open this up. If you have a child that's struggling to learn or struggling to pay attention, or if you know a veteran who's struggling with PTSD and would like to um, refer them into us, we will do this and we will work with them. And so we started doing that. And I thought, okay, we're going to do this for a year. Well, it was about three months down the road and the phone started ringing. And this woman called and she and said, it wasn't uh, me. <laughs> she, oh, sorry. It's okay. No, it wasn't me calling. Dr. McGriddles, <laughs> I got these patients that don't want to take medication. What you got? No, it was okay. Yes. Well, this was a this was a woman in the neighborhood of one where this child lived that uh -huh. had been coming to see us, and she said, I don't know what you've done to my neighbor's son, but my son needs help too. Can I come in? And I said, sure, absolutely. She says, well, my neighbor's boy is behaving so much better. I can't even believe he's the same child. This is incredible. What are you doing? <laughs> so we had the conversation and I joke, it's like three months in the phone started ringing and 15 years later, it hasn't stopped ringing because it works and so we get we're word of mouth in this community i've been doing this for 15 years i've gone out and done a lot of presentations and this is really an opportunity to get this out to the broader community to really have these conversations about what we've learned and i've learned a lot and a lot of what i've learned is that the brain is very malleable it's this whole term called neuroplasticity which means we are capable of training our brain and it doesn't matter if you're three or 93. And I have people literally three years old and 93 mm -hmm. who are doing this at this point in my clinics. I so uh, recently put, I'm sorry, I was going to ask you because you mentioned the mm -hmm. fact that you wanted to help people with PTSD also. And so I was wondering, is, is there a difference between folks with ADHD versus folks with PTSD in terms of, why they have the difficulty with, you know, easy distractibility and, you know, focus and paying attention. I mean, obviously there's trauma in the, that whole loop running, uh, when you have trauma and the re-experiencing of it, um, and the, the, the mind wires itself to run that loop to protect itself. But I'm just, but I'm, but I'm curious, is it functionally, the reason functionally that's happening, is there a difference between ADHD and PTSD? Well, I think functionally, yes, there is, because when we're dealing with PTSD or anxiety or anything on the spectrum of what I call the spectrum of anxiety, mm -hmm. then we're dealing with the amygdala system in the brain, which is our survival unit. It's our fight, flight, freeze unit. And uh, when I start, I'm, my background goes back to my doc program, working at the VA in Wisconsin, uh, doing a year's internship there as my pre-doc in working with veterans and learning a lot at that point about what worked and really kind of what didn't. And so my interest in helping veterans and understanding this really took off once I understood what the capability is of neurofeedback in helping to what I call just rewire that part of the brain. And by that, I mean, we're just, we're reinstalling the off switch is how I talk to veterans about it because you have the off switch typically before you went into service but when you go into service, you are in survival mode, particularly if you are in any kind of combat situation. You need that system on 24-7. And the military does a pretty good job of getting that turned on so people can survive. The problem is when they come out and they come back into the community, the military has used this a lot, neurofeedback a lot, to treat PTSD. 
but not everyone gets that because not everyone realizes that that system has been overly activated. It can happen with military, but it happens with children going through foster care sometimes, sometimes through adoptions and any other course of things, accidents can cause this. Uh, so, well, you know, and I just want to throw this little part in there. The other thing too, that people may not realize about the amygdala, you know, it's, it's, it's the, the fear survival system, like you said, the fight or flight, but it's also strongly tied to the, to the memory portion of mm -hmm. the brain as well. So it's, it's, um, it's, it's, so that's another way why in terms of when you're talking about the on switch being on that the the memories of whatever you experience that 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 keep that system you know activated instead of and, and instead of turning it off well yes and sensations whatever was happening during the traumatic event if there's a smell there's a sound there's some visual thing those are those things that can cause what we know to be flashbacks mm -hmm. which means the person is, is just kicked back into that memory and they're reliving it as if it were happening right now. They don't have control over that. And so that's another myth that we really want to bust out of here is that people have any kind of control over that because they don't. This is just the survival mechanism of the brain. And with the neurofeedback, what's great about this when we treat this with neurofeedback is they don't have to engage in the talk therapy. And I've talked therapists, what I've done for 30 some years is this. And then I realized that for some people that didn't work very well. And in some cases it made it worse. And so for those people who have the trauma response and don't do well with talk therapy, this is a very viable alternative, which you don't have to go into that. You're just coming in and we're just doing brain training with you to get that system rewired. So I, I talk about putting the floor back in the system because it's been up to the ceiling for so long. We have to reinstall the floor. We've got to get that system to come back down, to calm down so that the brain learns it's okay to be calm. You don't have to be on 24 seven. So if it's okay, I'm going to borrow those two from you. We, we got okay. to learn to teach the brain to turn the, turn the off switch back, turn it, put it back on the off switch, reinstall the mm -hmm. off which, and we got to reinstall yeah. the floor. <laughs> yes, that's great. <laughs> We've got to get this down and turned off because if you're stepping off a curb and something's coming at you around the corner, you need to get out of there. Mm -hmm. So you don't want the system shut off completely. You never want that. This is our survival mechanism. You just don't need that thing pinging at three o'clock in the morning because a dog down the street's barking and you're on high alert thinking there's someone in the neighborhood getting ready to do something harmful. Right. So, or, 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 wake, or waking up during the middle of the night, swinging on your partner. Um, that's right. Because you're in the midst of having a, a nightmare. Yes. And that's so real. I worked the anger management program at the Chemical Dependency Treatment Center at the VA. And these veterans were court ordered in for mm -hmm. anger management problems. So it's a real deal. And this happens. It, you don't have to be a military person to have this going on. Trauma is trauma. However, it has happened to you. And it can be domestic violence, it can be a bad car accident, it can be any number of things that can cause a traumatic response pattern. Right, we got, uh, right, then, right. We, we got these mass shootings occurring. Yes, all of this. Numbers. And yes, and the adverse childhood events scale mm -hmm. give us a lot of clues into this as well. So if you have a high ACEs score, your brain's probably hardwired for trauma response. And that is not something that you are going to willfully be able to get over in most cases. Right. Because and this I'm, sorry, I'm sorry, go ahead. 
know, because it's such a hardwired response pattern. It's hardwired in at this point. Right. And not only is it hardwired in, but it's also alters the DNA so that it gets passed on to subsequent generations. So mm -hmm. the, this, the, even though they quote unquote, didn't experience the trauma, the, the alterations to the DNA that uh, occurred because of the trauma is now passed along. And so in some respects, then you're getting the trauma response and the person who didn't experience well, yes, you know, that can absolutely happen. We've, you know, we're learning more and more about all of this, you know, genetic predisposition. And we also know that with neuroplasticity, we don't have to be kind of held uh, at bay because of that. We have neuroplasticity. We can literally change our brain. We can literally rewire it. And it just comes through the repetition process. So being able to repeat something enough until it is hardwired in. And I joke with people, I said, this is also why that bad habit that you have is hard to break because you have hardwired that in there. So if you're a person who has to have their chocolate every day, which there's nothing wrong with that in my mind, but if it's a problem, it's because there could be some hardwiring going on. There could be some other things going on too, but those bad habits. And Dr. McRose, I just have to say, I tell people, I have to have some chocolate every day. If not, I'm just walking around on the floor like here and there. So, you know, we, it's, it's, it's yeah, we, we have these habits and to break that habit. Uh, when I go out and do trainings, I had some really cool, um, clips of the brain and these uh, these neurons and dendrites actually connecting together when a pattern came together and it got hardwired into the brain. And then there was an example of where one pruned away. So when we don't use a pattern that we're wanting to change because we're trying to build something new, then that old pattern will actually get replaced. So we can replace that old pattern. That little thing will just connect because we're reconnecting or building new neuronal pathways which is what the neurofeedback does. It's literally just doing a repeated pattern enough to where the brain can learn how to function in these areas that we find with this assessment. So we're able to train the brain and it holds. That's the good news about it. So yeah, so let's get into, let's get into that. Let's get into this stuff. Let's, let's, let's mm -hmm. talk about this, this non-medicine. Non approach. It's a non-invasive process. So when I go out and do presentations, <laughs> I talk about putting sensors on people's head to read their brain waves, their eyes kind of roll and kind of turn a little bit because they're thinking I'm going to be doing something to them. <clears throat> and I actually take a little headset out and hook it up and I'm wireless and I'm running this and I'm showing them what's going on the back of the screen behind me of demonstrating attention or relaxation. And that key is here, we can literally train the brain and people will go, well, are you going to shock me? And I I finally came up with a response to that, which is, no, we won't shock you, but your results could be shocking. And so with that, <laughs> we can move on to the demonstration. <laughs> and then, and then, uh, I'm not your friend, but I'm Dr. McReynolds. What? I'm sorry. <laughs> You're not, it's cutting up to some, sorry. I'm not nurse. Well, I'm not nurse oh, not. I'm yes. Not, yes. I'm Dr. McReynolds. Right. <laughs> I'm not nurse ratchet. Exactly. 
We're not going to give you that. We're not doing the lobotomy here. We're actually just helping you learn. And it's a very empowering process because you are learning how to train your own brain. You get the feedback. So neurofeedback really is a lot like biofeedback, which we used to use a little sensor on the finger to measure your pulse. Maybe we're measuring your respiration. And then we're teaching you how to slow down your pulse with your respiration. And you've got biological feedback on that, which got shortened over the years to biofeedback. Neurofeedback is reading brain waves and it's fed into the computer almost instantaneously. And through the use of the programs that we use, you're getting feedback as to whether or not you are demonstrating or manufacturing or holding the attention brain waves long enough to make a change. And so for the example with the headset, if I'm demonstrating attention and manufacturing enough attention, the little bar goes across the bottom at at the bottom, the kind of the power bar, but then I'm also going to blow up a barrel using this wireless headset. And to do a calm brain, it's powering up the meditation, brain waves on that, and then this ball will float in this demonstration. And so the key is that people really get to see they have the power to both run the computer, but to also change their lives. So it's a very empowering process because you are in charge of being able to retrain your brain. So kind of like going to the gym. So you go to the gym to strengthen up your muscles. This is kind of a gym for the brain. The good news is you don't have to keep coming back forever with us. We get you done and get you out the door. So how does training your brain using a, sounds like a video game. How does they, that how does translate mm -hmm. to doing schoolwork, especially mm -hmm. like reading and meticulous and detailed? <laughs> well, for inattentiveness, let's just start there. Let's say I can't focus on anything. I can't maintain my attention. I can sit there, but I'm drifting off all the time. So if we're able to help the brain maintain focus, develop a stronger focus ability so that you can choose where you're putting your attention then you can sit down and do your homework. So the key to this is not to just develop this and do it for 30 minutes, two or three times in my clinic. This is about this transferring into your life on a regular moment to moment basis, which is what we're always looking for. Is this making a difference in your life at home? So if I can't remember what someone is saying, but we're able to train up that auditory processing part of the brain and train those neuronal pathways and strengthen them. And then suddenly someone's telling me something I'm telling this child something and they can remember and go do it. That's life changing. That means there's been an impact in that child and that parent and that teacher's life. And the same for the employee who couldn't remember what his boss was telling him. If he now can remember that's changed his life. So you're saying the training is not, not task specific. Task specific. It's it's um, it's it's process specific. So when we run this assessment in those 37 areas of auditory and visual processing, those areas that are weak. So let's say in this particular case, the processing speed is slow. And so that means this person cannot keep up with what's being said to them. Or even if this visual process, slow processing speed for visual, they can't keep up the pace with what's happening up on the board to get it down on their paper. But if we specifically train to that, so you can imagine a menu of programs that look like low impact video games. 
we create a training plan based on those findings. And through the repetition of that, usually about 20 times, we come back and reassess. We're going to measure progress on that. And we can measure the changes in what's happening in this person's ability to retain information. There could be memory problems that are impacted. It could be processing speed. It could be stamina. Some people don't have the stamina to get to the end of a task. They wear out. They worn, they're worn out. And so we actually build the stamina for them so they can get to the end of the task. They can get there. And so this is really individual, very specific to each person based on what their assessment results are at the front end. And then after every 10 hours of training, we come back and rerun those assessments and we do the comparison. Most generally, people have made progress. There may be a few areas still remaining, so we'll build a secondary training plan for them. In some cases, people are slower to respond, and so it takes a little bit longer to get through. Some people get done faster. So it's a very individualized, unique training plan that each person gets based on what I call kind of their unique thumbprint of this assessment across these auditory and visual processing problems. All right, then. Well, let's right, take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to get into how do we access those services. Are you feeling stuck or in a holding pattern with your business or life and you're not doing the things you want or love? Then at some point, you're going to be faced with a decision. You'll either choose to keep living in your comfort zone and risk a life of mediocrity or increase your courage, step into your power and forge into the unknown where everything new becomes possible. If you're truly ready to live masterfully, then you need Ken D. Foster's newest book, The Courage to Change Everything, Strategies and Wisdom to Transform Your Life One Day at a Time. This powerful but simple guide provides you with 365 days of life-transforming wisdom, profound questions, and action steps that will increase your strength and open the doors to success. Stop wondering why your business or life isn't working. The answers are available now. Imagine if you had more courage or another chance to start following your dreams. To pick up your copy of The Courage to Change Everything, visit thecouragetochangeeverything.com. That's thecouragetochangeeverything.com. Hi, I'm Dr. Durr, and um, I'm here today with our expert, Dr. Connie McReynolds, who is developed a process called Neural Thinking that helps with a non-invasive treatment of ADHD. She's also the author of Solving the ADHD Riddle. So when we left, we were discussing how neural feedback works to treat ADHD, and you also work with people that have PTSD. We use it for that, uh, and probably some some other uh, brain illnesses or, 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 or malfunctions or different ways of different ways of uh, with the brain with the brain operates or work. So that to, to, you know, to, to skin. So they can be successful. They can be successful. Right. right. So, so the question becomes, the question becomes accessing, accessing services for brain health and brain health, health is really, is really 
difficult. Let's call it. It takes a long time to get into teaching about it, especially with your child and adolescent. So, what is the best way for people to go about accessing neurofeedback treatment? Well, I think there are a couple of ways. Uh, the first, of course, I'm going to talk about what we do. Uh, so we really help get rid of the symptoms associated with a lot of conditions. And I don't know that we're, uh, I would say that we're, you know, getting rid of all those conditions. But what I say is we're getting rid of the symptoms that are associated with those conditions. So we're able right, to we're managing it, right? managing it, right? Yes, we're, we're literally retraining the brain. So if we can retrain the brain, and I can remember better than what I could before, then I'm going to be doing better. Maybe my memory works better. So on my website, www.conniemcreynolds, C-O-N-N-I-E-M-C-R-E-Y-N-O-L-D-S.com. The book is up on that website. You can click there. It's on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and other booksellers. Uh, That will help you learn a lot more about this. I go into quite a bit of detail on this. And then, The good news is that because this is a non-invasive treatment protocol, if you want to call it that, it's it's really just helping the brain get stronger, like any kind of exercise program. We can pretty much do that with people wherever they are. Uh, There's a little bit of a process on the front end of just verifying technology, of course, because it's all technological driven. So we're going to do a few checks with you on that to make sure this might be an option. People can lease this equipment, and then we do... Uh, the session's the same as if you were coming to my clinics, which means you are working with someone who's going to be there with you. I think over our pandemic, we kind of learned we can do like we're doing here. We can do a lot now with Zoom that I think three or four years ago, we probably didn't believe that we could do so much. We probably couldn't. And then the other thing is, um, although I'm not a huge fan of the big video gaming industry, they have done us a big favor in creating some pretty powerful computers nowadays. Mm. So because of that, uh, these systems can now handle a lot of this where 10 years ago, it wasn't going to be possible to do this at all. So things have really changed in the past 10 years, but even the past three to four years, things have really changed to make this a far more doable process. I will say that there are a lot of neurofeedback programs out there. There are different kinds of things, uh, different types of approaches. The approach we take is really evidence-based. Uh, the system that we use is different from some of the other systems out there because, uh, not to get too technical on this, but we're measuring EEG brain waves, and our system will get rid of what we call the facial artifact, the eye blinks, uh, the facial movements, which can mimic EEG data. So in some systems, they're not zeroing out that facial artifact, so they're getting false EEG readings. And so our system... The EEG is just basically measuring your brain waves, the same thing that the neurologist does. That's exactly right. And we're just using a system similar to if you go to the doctor and get an EKG, where they put a little sensor yeah, so they'll stick it on you. And so that's what we're doing. Only we're doing it on the scalp. And no, we don't have to uh, shave your head to do it. We just work through your scalp and through your hair. We use a little tacky wax to hold it on. And because of that, and the way that these, the system works, we're able to measure your brain waves. And when we do that, it feeds into the computer. You have a training plan that looks like low impact video games. And the more you're able to manufacture, develop or create the brain waves that represent whatever it is that you're working on. And the brain will learn how to do this. 
then you're able to do that. And through the repetition of this, your brain will learn how to function better. So you're really empowering yourself. This is you teaching your brain how to run in a more optimized manner. And that's why it's called non-invasive because we are not doing anything. We're not administering anything to you. Those signals do not go back to your brain in this. There are systems out there that will do some of that, that have some stimulation, but that in the truest sense of neurofeedback is not neurofeedback. It is something different from neurofeedback. True Ooh. neurofeedback Ooh. is just measuring your brain waves. Okay. And then on average, okay, and then on average, average. Average. The number of sessions a person has to do for this. Typically, for yeah, if you're kind of in the regular ballpark and we're not dealing with a lot, having to go a long way, meaning you don't have any auditory or any visual processing, which some people are in that camp, we're going to be building a lot of pathways with that. If it's already pretty much there, we're just giving you a good tune-up. You're taking your car in for a good tune-up to the mechanic. We're <laughs> just kind of giving you a good tune-up here which through that repetition, typically of about 40 sessions, that equates to 20 hours of brain training. Our system is 30 minutes. I have found over time that that's about the maximum that a brain can really be completely dedicated to this. We had experimented with this in the front end for people who were driving long distances to get to us. I have people driving two, two and a half hours each way to get to us. So on some of those cases, we would actually uh, do a 45 minute training program for them, but I, they could get there, but it just never felt like it was quite as consistent and with this consistent, it's all about being consistent. And we're going to say that from the get go two to three times a week, consistency, consistency, consistency is how you're going to train your brain. And when we can get you there, you pretty much are going to have it. You don't need to keep coming back to us. So we'll, so, well, Dr. Connie McReynolds, I hope you really have been an absolute pleasure having you on today, having this conversation with you today, you know, sharing this um, innovative trajectory altering treatment option with ADHD. So, again, thank you so much for coming. If you want to come back, just let me know. Do something more because, again, I think this is we want to give people options, and and I think this is a great option for folks who may not want medication, who may want to do a combination. I certainly would highly recommend Dr. McReynolds' book, Solving the Riddle of ADHD, and, you know, reach out to her on her website, and, uh, you know, social media, too? Um, yes, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and there's a contact form up on the website, um, so people can fill that out, uh, provide your phone number, sometimes it might be good uh, to give you a call. I, I honestly prefer giving you a call, a 15, 20-minute consult is probably a little easier than trying to answer 10 questions on email because you're going to have another 10 after I answer those. So <laughs> let's just get your questions answered and see if we can help move things along for you, and I'm happy to do that. All right. Well, thank you right. again thank so, you. Much, thank you so much, Dr. Reynolds. And I'm your host, Dr. Balan Ader, awakening and empowering you to live out your infinite potential, to live life in the sweet spot. See you next time.
Thank you for joining us today in the sweet spot. Share, follow, and like us on social media. To learn more, please visit balinadurmd.com, spelled B-A-L-I-N-A-D-U-R-R-M-D.com. Join us next week, and remember, when you heal your mind, all things are possible.